right, folks, before we begin, this is a heavy content warning, and I mean fucking heavy. Now, for those of you who actually need a content warning, I encourage you to switch off now. No judgment, just switch off. You do not want to hear this. I'll give you 10 seconds of silence to use whatever device you're using, and just switch off now. Now, for those of you who are still listening and would like to know what the content is that you're being warned about, here are the subjects we'll be discussing today. Kidnapping, rage, possession, trauma, paranoid jealousy, marital fraud, manipulation, extreme physical violence, domestic abuse, beatings, rape, brainwashing, bombings, torture, killings, murders, Graphic gore in relation to bombings, blood, body parts, tear gas, live bullets, police and military brutality. Now folks, this episode is not for everyone, I assure you this is serious. If you are not in any current mental state to deal with any level of disturbing material, please switch off now. Folks, at this point, I'd also like to point out that the name of the abuser has been bleeped out at the interviewee's request. Now, anyone who's listened to the earlier episodes will understand this is not for his protection, but for hers. Alrighty, folks, you are listening to Talking Shit with Fraser, you bastard, the show about who the fuck knows, but anything goes. Uh, folks, last episode, we had a chat to Celeste, who had a very serious kidnap happen. Now... Last time we spoke to her, of course, she'd been put in a uh, room with four walls, no roof, two single beds and a bucket and was basically locked in and told, you're not leaving. Now, folks, of course, this is going to be a bit grim, so brace yourselves, but uh, we're going to get started anyway. How you doing, Celeste? I'm doing all right, yeah. I'm glad to carry on with this telling of my story. It's uh, it's an interesting story and it's going to captivate a lot of listeners, so... Uh, um, uh, obviously, last episode ended in a very sort of scary part, but as I understand, it only gets a bit scarier from there. So I'm going to sit yeah. back and let you take the floor and uh, let you tell your story. All right. Okay. Um, yeah, so I was left alone in this, like, dark room with a bucket, like, a single line. There's, like, a wash line, a bed, and, like, a gas ring, which was attached to, like, a canister and a sink. But there was there was a window, but it was like just so dirty you couldn't tell whether it was like daytime or nighttime. Um, so yeah, of course he said to me like, "You're not going anywhere." And then he like left. So like I was alone, like terrified and like married to this guy, like completely like mind blown. Like what the hell has just happened? Um, so of course like I tried to contact my mum and like bloody sod's law and all that. I like had no signal, like none. And it wasn't like this place was, like, having Wi-Fi. So it was just like, oh, fuck, I really am alone. Um, and then, like, also my phone battery was, like, mega low as well. So I was just like, shit, what am I going to do? And all I could do was just wait until he came back, basically. So um, he returned with a kettle, an iron, um, a small jug. What else? Um, some food and a bunch of flowers. And I was, like, obviously, like, completely overwhelmed by everything that was happening. So I, I couldn't find the strength to fight him, and I was just like, complete, I felt completely and utterly defeated. 
And then he gave me the flowers all happy, like saying, this is for you, my wife. And I was like, what the actual is happening right now? Like, you expect me to be cool with this? So, like, I refused to even, like, take them from him or look at him. And he just, like, oh, my God. He was angry that I didn't take them from him. So I just, like, took them, threw them on the floor. (laughs) What was I going to put them in? There wasn't a vase. There wasn't, like, you know... What's the point? <laughs> um, he wasn't very happy with that, but like, yeah, he wasn't happy. <laughs> um, and then he said, like, explain that the bucket was for me to use it to wash up, wash myself in, and like, what was it? Hang on, yeah, he said, yeah, the bucket was to be filled with water, the jug was to use to wash myself with it, and the kettle was to warm up the water if I needed to. But I mean, you're in Egypt, the water comes out hot anyway. <laughs> It's, like, very rare to actually get cold water. But, like, he literally tried to act like everything was fine, like, as if I wanted this. But, like, honestly, who would do that? (laughs) Um, But, yeah, then he left briefly to, like, go outside and grab, like, this mega dusty, like, small, dirty table that was, like, outside of the building. And then he just put the food on it and told me to start eating whilst he went to the car to get the rest of the things. So, like, he had, like, a suitcase of his clothes and, like, a winter blanket. And I was like, nope. Got no appetite. Not gonna happen. And, like, he came back. And he was, like, mega livid at me because I wasn't at the table preparing our food like a dutiful housewife. And I was like, you fucking what? You're having a laugh now. You kidnapped me. Hit me. Take me to the scary dark room. Tell me I can't leave. And now you want me to be a dutiful housewife no (laughs) so I just like said quietly like how I'm not hungry and didn't want to eat and that's like when he literally like grabbed me pulled me over to the table and said eat and I was like no and he slapped me so hard that my brain like bounced it was like proper like Ah, I can't explain it but like you know when you get like a really well, I suppose when you hit your head really hard and, like, you get that really deep migraine and, then like, you feel mega dizzy for a while. It was like that. Um, but, like, I could actually feel, like, the burn of his hand on my cheek and everything like that. And, like, the rage in his eyes was absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. And, like, he was trying to do this, like, all big massive posture thing. So it was pretty scary. Yeah. Um, and he isn't, like, some small guy that I could just escape from. Plus, like, where would I even go? Like, I don't speak Arabic. He had my passport. So that was when, like, the fear really kicked in. And I was like, oh, my God, I might actually die. Because, yeah. like, I've never been, like, treated that way before. So I was like, oh, my God, what the hell is happening? Could I, like... That was, like, the first time that I probably, like, freaked out. Mm-hmm. And then he, like, stormed to my handbag, took out my purse and emptied it of the money that I had and said, you know, just in case you get any ideas. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, he thought that I was somehow, like, gonna pick the lock, miraculously speak Arabic, miraculously get on a plane back home with no passport. Like, what? I didn't even know where I was. But, like, to be fair, he was a paranoid, completely batshit crazy person, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, Very possessive. Yeah. Very jealous. Very paranoid. But... From then on, it's a bit of a blur because I was just like, well, I mean, like, when you're completely mind-blown, traumatised and dizzy from, like, a massive blow to the head, you don't really remember much. You go into, like, a mental protection blockout sort of thing. Mm -hmm. 
but yeah like a couple of days passed and I ate very little tried to sleep a lot so I wasn't like having to be consciously aware of the nightmare that I was living mm. but I mean it was proper bloody horrible because like he would get into bed with me and like try to spoon me and like try to get intimacy going and it was just like bloody awful so I was like no fuck off so um this was during the time that was working so he would go to work um and I and I like managed to find my charger charge my phone up a bit tried to find any signal that I could but I found it in like just one tiny corner, um, and like I text my mum, but it w- but it wouldn't connect. So there was something to do with my SIM, and I couldn't send text messages from abroad back home. And I oh my god, it was just like fuck. <laughs> um, but then one day my mum manages to call me, but it only lasts like a couple of minutes tops. But I don't even remember what was said i was just so overwhelmed and just trying to get my head around everything but um i'd been in egypt for about four days at that point with no communication to anyone and then the result was that my dad flew to egypt trying to find me not a clue where to start like none so um he just turns up at the airport and Obviously, you know, he's freaking terrified. His firstborn has been kidnapped, kept in a place that she can't explain or describe, with no signal. So his story part of this is that he finds someone in the airport who used to work in the Egyptian courts who says, you know what, I'll help you. Because he was like, this isn't the first time I've heard about this happening. Um... And through his connections in the courts, they managed to find his mother, who had no idea that ran away and kidnapped me. <laughs> she, because like, apparently he would go off for like a couple weeks at a time, because that's apparently normal. But yeah, whilst my dad was searching for me, my mum was in my bedroom back in the UK looking for anything that could help them identify where I could possibly be. But of course, there wasn't anything. And we don't talk about this as it's quite painful, but long story short, um, they find, yeah, my dad goes to Egypt, they find his mum and she is mega pissed. <laughs> my dad turns up t- at her home and she's obviously like, who the hell are you? <laughs> and my dad's contact from the courts is called He explains the situation and then his mum can't remember her name i can't remember i just blocked it out she like spam pulls the hell out of i remember her shouting down the phone like absolutely loads um obviously i couldn't understand a word of it but you could tell from the tone of her voice that she was absolutely livid (laughs) um and deserved in my opinion um all right i'm just trying to remember from that point what happened I remember caved because apparently, um, what am I trying to say? Uh, mothers and women are meant to be like worshipped, like considered like really high in society, which is a complete lie. That's what they tell themselves. It's all a lie. Um, 
so he was like okay let's go to my mum she is your mother-in-law after all and I was like nope <laughs> she ain't no mother of mine I'm good um but we go there and my dad is there and I'm like oh my god thank god I'm saved <laughs> and um you know what's really freaking stupid is after that we did manage to go back to the UK but I wanted to get this divorce done of course mm-hmm. I was like I'm not sticking married to this absolute twat waffle not gonna happen yep. um but it was at that point like of course I didn't know how the wedding was done I didn't know if it was an Islamic wedding I didn't know if it was just a rush through wedding obviously it was very rushed but I didn't know whether it was like Islamic law put into it so of course played it as best as he could to the point that the only way I could get the divorce started was if I turned up in Egypt again physically and we would go to the courts and stuff so me being the strong defiant woman that I was I was like you know what I'm gonna go back I'm gonna get this done because I just want this chapter behind me I was very stupid (laughs) <laughs> I was very freaking stupid. Mm. So I go back to get the divorce done and we get in the cab and he says, Yeah, this is the this is the way we go, because of course I didn't know, did I? And then he ends up taking me to his aunt's house. And I'm like, this is not the faint that the left this is not the same place we got married in so i can't divorce you here can i and he was like, i have no intentions of divorcing you and i was like well i want a freaking divorce i'm not happy with it <laughs> and um i don't remember specifics but i remember meeting his aunt and uncle were actually really lovely so they were probably the only oh and their daughter and their son those were very modern forward-thinking, westernized sort of Egyptians. So they were, like, fascinated that I was English and they, like, loved to talk to me about home. But, of course, that was, like, really bittersweet. So I'd be, like, quite happy to talk about home because it made me feel a bit, well, at home. But also, like, it didn't feel so lonely because I was bringing up memories. And then, I honestly don't know why, thoughts were but he thought that obviously I was happy so when he thought I was happy he tried to be like the doting husband and make things good but then he would then push for me to do the Islamic prayer wear a hijab and all that and every time I said no that was when he would go back to like the violence so we were at his aunt's house for yeah that day and then his mum said, right, since you're married, you can't live at my sister's house, aunt's house, so you have to live with me until you get your own place. And I was like, no, <laughs> I want to divorce this guy, but obviously my voice means nothing. So in order not to die, because he was getting increasingly violent again, and I was scared, I was just like, right, just go along with it, survival instincts, just go along with it. So we end up living at his mum's house for a month. But I do have contact with my parents at this time. So I let them know, you know, he's at work, but he's assured me that we'll go to the office to do the divorce now. I knew it was going to take a couple of weeks because the paperwork in the bureaucracy in Egypt is shit. Excuse my language, but it is. (laughs) 
So, so um, you turn up there saying, I need this paper. And they'll be like, yeah, come back in a fortnight. And that's like stage one of like eight. And I was like, for God's sake. So I knew it was going to be a long time, like at least two weeks of doing this. But I didn't expect it to go on as long as it would, that he would drag me along as well. Um, so eventually his mom goes, you know what? You're a married couple. You need your own place. So we find this place. And I said, you know, if I'm going to go along with this, Sherard, for how long you want to keep me here under the promise that we'll get this divorce done, then I at least want to be somewhere decent, like not look, not living in like the armpit of Egypt. <laughs> you know, I don't want to live like in the dive. So, um, so yeah, of course, was working at this point and he managed to put a deposit down on like this quite nice flat so I was like all right it's not too bad um I just don't want to I'll be here for like a couple of weeks tops and then I'll be home so whatever um but then like as soon as we got that place moved out of the mother's home he went back to the nasty person and he was like I have no intentions whatsoever of divorcing you you are my wife you will be dutiful you will learn the Quran, you will do the Islamic prayer, you will read all the chapters or whatever it is of the Quran, learn it by heart, and you will do this, otherwise I will bury you. Ooh. And I was like, bury me, what? No, you fucking won't. And then he hit me. I was Ooh. like, yes, I will bury you. I will bury you alive in the desert. Ooh. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. So I used to get that threat quite a lot. <laughs> I can well imagine. This guy is psychotic. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, months go by where I'm like, hello, when are we going to do this bloody divorce thing? Um, and he's like, I'm not going to divorce you. Every time I asked about it, he would beat me. Oof. And one of those beatings was where I got um, semi-deaf in my right ear. So he burst my eardrum. In one of those beatings. Yeah, you yeah, know, I've got full on scarring in my right ear and everything, so I'm semi deaf in that ear. Yeah. My dad doesn't know that. Because <laughs> oh, I think I think if my dad knew that he would probably go over there and get jail time. <laughs> so he doesn't know that. My nice. mum knows about it, my sister does. Because I know they wouldn't react and do something. Oh, I mean they were they reacted, obviously. They were very shocked and upset and very sad and you know, very angry, but my dad would actually act upon it. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I was like, all right, dad will never know. <laughs> um, but my other half knows, and he's been like really, really good. He's been, he knows everything. So he's been like incredible because he loves me for who I am and mm. embraces me for who I am and doesn't want to change me. Thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> good luck with that. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I've had that happen for four years with I'm not going to let someone else do it but no I'm very lucky where I am right now because he's been very loving and supportive but yeah so I'm telling I want to get the divorce done I'm not going to learn Arabic like dude I drink I smoke at the time I did smoke and I wear makeup I am not what you're after what you want is an Egyptian woman who is going to be dutiful quiet little housewife I am none of the above. <laughs> I am not quiet. I'm not little. 
and I'm not going to be your housewife. <laughs> and he's like, well, you are technically, because you're already on paper my wife. And I was like, because <laughs> I couldn't argue with that, because it literally had my thumbprint and my signature. Mm. I desperately wish that I had the foresight to insist that there was a translator there, but I had no idea that this would have, you know, I went there with complete faith and understanding that it would just be a paper for us to live under the same roof for a couple of weeks whilst I was visiting. I didn't expect him to betray me, let alone betray me full throttle like that, right from like practically day one. It's like, holy shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, at this point we're living in our own place, which is in... It's actually an alright place, you know, but I'm like there thinking, oh, I might actually be able to go outside. Pfft, nope. Jesus. I'm not allowed near the windows in case someone sees me. That was insisting that. He didn't want me to be able... He was this paranoid. He didn't want me to catch the eye of someone and for them to understand that I needed help. So, yeah. So I wasn't allowed near the windows. And every time... I, like, struggled, like, obviously he, like, broke my spirit, because I was alone, I had no one, and my phone wouldn't, I could only accept calls or accept text messages, but I couldn't call myself or reply to those messages until he got me a SIM card that worked in Egypt and had, like, international minutes but of course he didn't do that for a long time because he wanted to have that power over me as well that extra um well yeah power but um so yeah we're living in we were there for about four or five months and then this was when the muslim brotherhood were in power in pol in the in the parliament politics and then that was when the military coup started. So there were protests. There were a lot of protests, a lot of violence, like a lot of houses on fire, a lot of cars on fire, a lot of tear gas, a lot of bombs. Like, at, well, out, at this point, outside my bedroom was a full-blown tank with a... Um, checkpoint because I lived on a crossroads so it was strategically a good place for a tank and they had crossroads um a crossroads checkpoint where there was an army kind of like truck stationed there as well with like at least 24 army personnel there with guns live weapons the tank outside my bedroom and then on the other side was another tank outside the lounge window but that was just a tank. It wasn't like a checkpoint as well. But unfortunately, living on a crossroads also means it's a strategic place for bombs because they want to get rid of that. They want to get rid of the tank. They want to get rid of the army. They want to... Basically, they don't do things in half measures. So I remember... Um, oh, oh, yeah, at this point, he's not working anymore because he's that paranoid that I'll leave. So that's when we start living off my savings and any money that my dad would give me in order for us to eat 
So unfortunately, my dad did help feed the, us, but he didn't realise that he was also, you know, helping get his drugs. Um, I say drugs. is like get his cigarettes, get his prostitutes, all this, that and the other. Because the English money went quite far in Egypt, as you can imagine. But my dad, bless him, just didn't think like that. Because he was just thinking, I'm feeding my daughter. I'm making sure that she's, you know, alive. They've got a roof over their head whilst they sort out this divorce. Which dragged and dragged and dragged and dragged. So, yeah. I've got two tanks outside my house while I flat bombs going off left right and center my abuser with me literally 24 7 and i'm there like i think i just kind of went into a mental bubble i can't explain it but like i blocked out a lot in order to survive because like it became a daily thing the beatings and got to the point when the only thing that would shock me was when I saw this it was yeah there was a bomb outside my lounge but across the street and there was this guy who tried to defuse it and was not successful so I saw him live blown up just across the street from my house yeah there was like Honestly, the, the there was blood on my windows. Jesus. Yeah. Oh. And like, yeah, I remember it vividly. There was like hair on the oh. walls. There was like a leg over somewhere. Like it was, oh. it was, yeah. It was pretty graphic, pretty grim. Jeez. I was very, very nauseous after that because I was like, fuck. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how far. A human body can go when it's split apart. It's <laughs> so I was making my skin crawl just remembering it. Oh, I um, imagine it's uh, making my skin crawl. Listen to it because you, you sort of see Hollywood and you sort of see all that stuff and action and blah blah, but you don't get like small details like hair. Like that just made my skin crawl. Like oh geez, that's actually really real. Yeah, it was like literally like attacked attached to the wall it was like oh, oh. so there's blood on the window hair attached to the exterior wall um of course windows shattered but i think i was because i was five floors up and across the street but the fact that the blood was five floors up and the hair five mm. floors up mm. across the street so you can imagine the power of the blast yeah, <laughs> yeah. um so it, they had obviously like evacuated the space whilst they tried to defuse it, but the the guy didn't make it obviously because he was blown to smithereens. Um, and at this point, that was when me just reiterated the fact that it wouldn't even be safe for me to leave. And I was like, it's not safe for me to be here anyway. So <laughs> mm. I, you know, in a really weird, sick, twisted way, being stuck in that flat was the lesser of two evils because I knew those four walls whereas out there I didn't know if I was going to be greeted by a bomb, tear gas live bullets mm. yeah um, speaking of tear gas <laughs> there was this one time a few months later that said 
right, let's go get the divorce started. And I thought, oh my God, brilliant. But um, he like, this is after like, he'd been beating the hell out of me, raping me, calling me like, whore, slut, bitch. You will never be anything without me. You are my curse I have to bear, blah, 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 that sort of thing. Jesus. Yeah. Oh my God, he was doing that every day. Like, oh. every day. Oh. Um, so after a while, you start to believe it. So, like, I believed that I would never be anything, and I believed that I was a fat, and I believed that I was a whore, even though I wasn't. Yep. And, like, I believe this stuff because you hear it enough times. And I'm even now, I still hear his voice in my head saying, you are so stupid. You will never be anything. You will never amount to anything. That sort of thing. In his broken English, because his, his English was a bit shit. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he said, we'll get this divorce started so I was like hell yeah let's go <laughs> grabbed my hijab at which point I'd learned how to do it because you know it's just Second in order to survive you do what you need to do yep. so I learned how to do a hijab I learned the Islamic prayer which I still to this day remember word for word mm-hmm. <sighs> Ugh, honestly it doesn't leave me it's like no. torture <laughs> Because you say it five times a day for four years. It's mm. going to be bad. Um, and then we go outside, get a taxi, because the taxis have got, like, free reign through the checkpoints, apparently, because they've got, like, a pass or something. So we're like, sweet, let's go. Um, and then we get to the metro, get on the metro, no problem. But it's when we get off the metro, and I was like, Something doesn't feel right. And he's like, oh, it's fine. Just carry on. And I was like, no, me. something doesn't feel right. And then we get up the top. We get to the bottom of the stairs. And then I look to my right and I see the gas coming down. And I was like, what the fuck is this? What's going on? And then he was like, oh, we're in Taria Square. And I was like, you seriously brought me to Taria Square where the people have been protesting They've been camping outside. They have been live bullets. People killed and run over by tanks. You bring me here? What? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's where we got our marriage paper done. Which kind of ish was true because we got it like two streets away. So I was like, okay, let's just power on through. Let's do this thing. I desperately want to get this divorce done. So let's just go the safest route. Let's just go. Um, so we get the top of the stairs. And it's like, nope, nope, get back on the metro, get on the metro fast, get on the metro fast. Because we look to our left, there are people protesting with homemade molotovs, bricks, the lot. And then I look to my right, and then there's the army, live guns, live ammunition, throwing tear gas at the protesters to get them to move back. And then we're just like, fuck this <laughs> let's go <laughs> so we get back on that metro as quick as we can and leave so you're stuck between a rock and a hard place at this point do i uh, go back to this abusive shit and get absolutely beaten every day or do i get shot yes <sighs> you fuck yeah. me. so that was literally my choice do i risk getting shot mm. or do i go back to what i know which is being raped beaten, abused mentally, physically, emotionally. And then I was like, you know what? I don't care what you say. 
I need to talk to my family. This has been one hell of a shit show. I am freaking terrified. And he's terrified at this point as well. So he's like, you know what? Yeah. So he gets me a sim so I can phone my parents. And we do a Skype call and I explain to them, you know, we just started through the divorce paper and the Taria Square, you know, it's all going down. And they were like, you went there? What the hell? I was like, I know did it because like our divorce place where we need to go is like two streets away from there and they were like yeah you're you might have to hold fire on the divorce proceedings until this chills and i was like yeah agreed because i don't want to risk you know dying being arrested being the wrong place wrong time because a lot of people were being arrested for just being in the vicinity of the area because they were like being arrested like as if they were like a conspiracy against the military a conspiracy against the government but the reality is the military were conspiring against the people right from the start so the Muslim Brotherhood which were actually doing good for the country were branded as terrorists and they were like rioted out and a lot of families brutally murdered a lot of the members brutally murdered the leader, I can't remember his name, was held in prison without trial and tortured and stuff like that. And then he went to court and he was charged with war crimes that were fabricated, but he had been broken by all the torture in the prison and stuff. So he was just like, yep. But I don't remember what happened to him because I was so, so involved with myself that I was just trying to survive amongst all this chaos. So, yeah, it was like, oh my god. So, I, at that point, just got into the routine of surviving, just trying not to piss me off so then I could not be hit or threatened. Yeah. And then my parents were like, you know what, we're going to come visit. And I was like, sweet, yes, please do. And I was like, obviously freaking the hell out. Um, because if he was to say no, they would know the jig is up and they would force some sort of thing to happen. So he was like, I'll go along with it. But if you give them any hints whatsoever that you're unhappy, I will kill them first and then I'll bury you. Jesus. Yeah. So of course I freaked the hell out. But I was like, I just want to see my mum, I just want to see my dad. They they always went separately. They never came together because of what was going on in Egypt. They didn't want the risk that, like, say, for example, something happened to one of them. They they were in the extreme paranoid, I suppose, but in a right way. So they were like, we don't want you and your sister, meaning me and my sister, to be orphaned by something that could happen by a terrible incident of just being wrong place, wrong time. And I was like, nope, I just want you to be sensible. You do what you want to do. I just want to see you. I don't care. <laughs> so um, I can't remember how many times they visited and how long it was. It wasn't many at all. I think it was like four times over four years. Um, and every time would take me to the spare room, beat me literally black and blue. Mm. Yeah. Um, but in places that you couldn't see, because of course at this point I was 
wearing long sleeves, long trousers. The only things you could see of me was my face and my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so he would beat every single part of my body apart from my hands and my face. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't move my arms. And he was like, every single time he hit me, and it wasn't like just gentle, it was like a full-on trying to break my bones hit me. Every time he punched me, he would say, if you say anything, I will kill them first and I will bury you. And he used to say this every time. Uh, yeah. Bad. Of course I wasn't going to say anything. I was not going to risk that. No, that's so, fair. That's fair. Yeah. Hey, listen, we're at about the half hour mark, so I'm just going to cut it short there. Um, whew, fucking heavy going. Yeah. Um, obviously, you've got more story to tell, so I'm going to keep you on for another episode. Oof, uh, I've got bad chills going myself right now. I can't imagine how you're feeling sort of uh, just explaining all this shit, hey? Yeah, not going to lie, it's been shaky. It's been like proper, like, I'm shivering with remembering how I feel. But it's not like fear. It's like, a, holy shit, I overcame that. I, it's, in, it's like empowering, but also terrifying. It's a very weird feeling. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine, hey. But it's good that it's empowering. Look, that's uh, basically I hope that a lot of people do hear this story out there and sort of uh, can get some benefit out of it and hopefully avoid mm-hmm. certain situations themselves. Look, I'm going to get you on for the next episode. Of course, you've got a lot more story to tell. It's probably going to span over quite a few episodes, I'm assuming. So, um, <laughs> just going to wrap it up here for the moment, uh, folks. You're listening to Talking Shit with Fraser, you bastard. You have uh, had the well. I'd like to say pleasure of hearing Celeste's story, but woof, jeez. So, folks, um, look, feel free to hit the likes button, hit the subscribe if you do believe this will uh, actually help anyone benefit them, hit hit the share, and uh, we're going to get Celeste back for another episode. Thank you so much, Celeste. You're welcome.